don't know if I just, there we go. Hey, good to see you guys. Wow. Um, can we say thanks again to the worship team for leading us today? Man. <laughs> that last song really moved me. It was, that was amazing. Wow. Okay. Uh, we're in a series called Transformed, and the last few weeks we've been journeying together toward biblical wholeness, and we've been journeying about uh, this concept that the scriptures call us to be transformed, and, and that we're being transformed into the wholeness of Jesus. And I love what uh, professor and pastor and author Robert Mulholland says. He says, the Christian journey, therefore, is an intentional and continual commitment to a lifelong process of growth toward wholeness in Christ. And we put up uh, at the beginning of this series a couple of weeks ago this, this slide to show you that our lives are very complex. There's multiple parts to our lives. And, and really, what the good news about this is, even though we're complex and we have a lot of different parts, is that the gospel has the power to impact far more than just our relationship with God or our standing with God, but that really the gospel should impact all of our lives. Are you with me? So in this series, we're looking at different parts of our lives that should be transformed by the gospel. And, and last, last week, uh, Dr. Winnig shared with us about transformed relationships as an area that God wants to heal. And really, relationships are a currency of life, aren't they? I mean, almost everything that you can think of that you do involves relationship of some kind. Today, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. We're going to go back to the verse that's kind of been a keystone verse for us. And we're going to talk a little bit about transformation. Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper what? Worship. And then it goes on to say, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, there's that word again, by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, we talked about how conformed is to, to shape around something, to take the shape of something, to be patterned after something. And I want to just be really clear, the scripture isn't saying don't be conformed to anything. We should be conformed into the image and likeness of Jesus. As we begin to follow Jesus, we should experience some level of starting to bend around Jesus, to start to look like Jesus. But it tells us not to be conformed to what? The pattern of this world. The word uh, be transformed, the Greek word metamorpho. And really we talked about the definition of trans transformation was to change into another form or image, or really, we're being transformed from one state, one type of thing, into another. Why? Well, if you look a little bit further in that passage, it's so that you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so we should be transformed so that we can know what God's will is, to know what he's inviting us into, so that we can know how to best partner with Jesus in his kingdom for the renewal of all things. And we talked about how this process of transformation, it's not just for us, it's for the sake of others, that God transforms us from the inside out for the sake of the world. And by the way, if you've not listened to week number one yet, I would really want to encourage you to go into the app or go to our podcast and check that out so that you kind of know where we're going in this series. So we know that transformation it means being changed from one state to another. We also know that it's transformed into the image and the likeness of the wholeness of Jesus. And we know why, so that we can know God's will and to partner with Jesus. And what I want to do today is I want to drill into that part of our lives, our minds, so that we can understand how, 
How are we transformed into whole human beings by the power of the gospel? Now, the mind is a really interesting thing. It's, it's a part of who we are. And from this verse, it seems pretty clear that it's the mechanism of transformation. Be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. So clearly, it's really important. And somehow, the mind has the ability to impact all of the other areas of our life. And, but that should be the easy part, right? Well, it's just, I just have to transform my mind, and then I'm fine, right? I'm renewing my mind. That's just as easy. And maybe you've been reading your Bible like crazy, Maybe you've been memorizing a lot of scriptures. Maybe you've been listening to a lot of sermons or watching uh, that good-looking TV preacher. Maybe you've been faithfully having a quiet time. Maybe you're working really hard to avoid letting certain kinds of things into your mind. But if you're honest, as we talked about in week one, often, even though we're doing those things, sometimes it can feel like the gospel hasn't permeated all of our lives. And maybe it leaves you frustrated or hurt or confused or exhausted. How about you? We work pretty hard to emulate looking like Jesus. Emulate Jesus. And that, that's a good thing. But listen, here's the thing. Emulation is a part of, but it's not equal to transformation. I'll say it again. Emulation is a part of, but it's not equal to transformation. Now, it's good to emulate Jesus. And as a matter of fact, early on in our journey following Jesus, that's one of the first things we learn to do. You, you do these types of things to look like Jesus. But, but all too often, as followers of Jesus, and really as humans in general, we spend lots of energy trying to look like something, right? We're trying to uh, keep up with the Joneses. I want to look like other people. I want to dress like other people. Or I want to look like Jesus. I put on all this behavior, all this sort of stuff. But I'm convinced that Jesus is inviting us into something much deeper, and, and he's inviting us to transform from broken, hurting people into whole human beings that spend time with Jesus, that become like Jesus, that, that do as Jesus did. That is a picture of wholeness. And so Paul tells us that the way that we get there is by the renewing of our mind. Now, the word for renewal is a really interesting word, anachinosis. I'm convinced Star Wars you know, stole that word. Um, but this word is not found outside of Christian literature, except in the Star Wars universe. But it literally means a renovation or to breathe new life into something. So anachinosis is breathing new life into a thing. It's an interesting word picture. And I think it's a great reminder for us that this isn't just something we conjure up. We just pray more. We just do more. But that we need the Holy Spirit of God to breathe new life into us. And so we can't do this process apart from the Holy Spirit. And I'm curious why we are so exhausted. Is it possible because we're trying to do it all on our own? We're not releasing control to the Spirit of God. What I want to do today is I want to press into the Scripture just a little bit, and I want to unpack together what this might mean. And I want to see how we're able to experience renewal of our minds. And if we do that, it could transform all of us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads and let's just pray and ask the Spirit to be our guide and to begin to work even right in this moment on renewing our minds in this service right now or wherever you might be listening. Holy Spirit, you are the one who illuminates all things that are true of you. It's not by our might or our power that we're transformed. It's because of you. Help us to partner with you well this morning. And God, I would just pray that you'd open our eyes that we might see Open our ears that we might hear and that we might be transformed into the wholeness of Christ for your glory and for the sake of the world. In Jesus' name, 
together this church said, amen. Amen. All right, so if we're transformed by the renewing of the mind, we probably should talk a little bit before we get too deep into this about what the mind is, right? What is the mind? Well, what do we mean by this? In English translations of the the scriptures, uh, the word mind is used between 100 and 120 times. And the farther that we get into the New Testament, the more it's used. So the frequency increases greatly, especially in the writings of Paul. In the Old Testament, it's used 67 times in the NIV. And it uses a lot of different words to describe the mind uh, as heart, spirit, soul, the, the thinking self, and more. And the Old Testament uses this term uh, for heart quite often to, to describe what we might mean by the mind. They believe that it was the seat of the emotions. It was the core of who we are. The concept in the Old Testament of the heart and the mind, it, it's a little bit hard to pin down, but they're fairly interchangeable. In the New Testament and the NIV, the word mind is used 53 times. And there's about 20 words uh, to describe that, what that is. And in Romans, um, it's really interesting because the word is nous, and it means the intellect, that is the mind, okay? Uh, the thought, feeling, or will. That's what mind is in the scripture. It's thought, feeling, will. And it's really interesting as I started studying this, I think a lot of us have this conception that the mind is thoughts. And that's true, but that's just a, it's just a part of it. The, the dictionary definition of mind is the element, part, substance, or process that reasons, thinks, feels, wills, perceives, judges, and more. And so, both the scriptural and the psychological understanding of the mind essentially is the part of our brain that thinks and feels and has will. Does that make sense? It's kind of cool that modern science affirms what the scriptures have been saying all along, and and the field of neuroscience is becoming a really hot topic this day. Lots of people flocking to that, lots of interesting things to study, and part of it is because technology has advanced to the point where scientists and physicians can scan the brain in real time, and see much about what's happening. As a matter of fact, uh, psychiatrists are scanning the brain uh, in real time and having people talk about trauma, a traumatic event that happened in the past, and they're able to see exactly what's happening in their brain, what centers of the brain are being triggered, and they realize that when someone retells a story of trauma, their brain doesn't know the difference between it happening in real time or that was a thing long ago. Isn't that interesting? This is why on the 4th of July, people who have been deployed, when they hear explosions and things going on, they're triggered. Their body experiences this big thing. Their brain is very confused. That's interesting about how the brain is wired. And while there's a lot we don't know about the brain, there's a lot scientifically that we do. um, And it's advanced about not only physically how our brains function, but how it affects our thoughts and our feelings as well. So I'm going to teach you a little science lesson this morning, and you're going to walk out of here feeling like a bona fide scientist. Are you ready? Who's with me? Ready to go. I want you to take your hand, and I want you to put your palm out like this. Hi. Good to see you. Hi. You can turn it like this if you like uh, your, you know, like this. Okay. All right. Everybody got it. This, this is your brain on drugs. No. Okay. Just kidding. This is your brain on drugs. All right. I want you to wiggle your thumb. Everybody say, hi, thumb. This is going to represent your amygdala. Could you say that with me? Amygdala. The amygdala, this is the part of our brain that feels and is responsible for safety and survival. It's an older part of our brain. And I want you to, take your, to tuck it in. So take amygdala in there. It's a little, little, little thumb tip. And I want you to take the rest of your hand like this, and I want you to do this. Live long and prosper. No, I'm just kidding. Take your hand like this and curl it over your, your thumb. Everybody, are you with me? All right. This is hilarious, by the way, seeing you guys all standing here. Like, all right. 
The fingers represent the prefrontal cortex. And really, the prefrontal cortex is the part of our brain that thinks and that reasons and makes executive decisions. It's a part of our personality. It's the, it's the super intelligent part of us. But the, the prefrontal cortex and the amygdala work together to reason, to feel, to receive. And look, if you turn it sideways, it looks a little bit like a brain. Right, you can put your hands down. Although it's really fun for me to watch everybody having their hands up in the air. They work together. You need both of those. So the amygdala uh, is deep in the heart of the brain. The prefrontal cortex is up here. Um, and so here's how it works together. If you go to the zoo and you see a vicious lion, for example. Nope, that's the wrong vicious lion. Next picture. Okay, if you go to the zoo and you see a vicious lion, your amygdala, apart from the prefrontal cortex, might think, danger, there's a lion, and then releases a ton of cortisol and and adrenaline, which are both hormones, into your system, and it leads to a response you may have heard of, fight. You might want to try and attack that lion, or flight. You might want to take off running, or freeze. You might stand in place and hope it doesn't see you. Turn to the side. Or appease. You might try to, is there any way I could get you to not eat me right now? And those responses are natural, normal parts of our amygdalas. It's a part of our brain. But if you do those four things at the zoo, you will look like an idiot. (laughs) Fortunately, God gives us the prefrontal cortex that partners with it. So the, the prefrontal cortex works to look at your surroundings and to go, wait, I'm in a zoo. There is a pane of glass or a fence of some kind between me, and you sort of reason I'm safe, and it doesn't cause all those hormones to go crazy. It doesn't cause you to try to attack the lion like an idiot. Those work together to allow you to think and feel properly. Are you with me so far? Okay. Now, over time, there are things called neural pathways that that reinforce the way we think. These are the sort of the tubes that go between parts of the brain. It's how the different parts of the brain talk to one another, and and over time, these become a well-worn path. They become consistent. It's have you ever seen a trail, if you're going through a pasture, have you ever seen a trail where cattle walk in a pasture? Who's seen that? It's really interesting. It drives me nuts because I'm kind of an efficiency junkie, and it kind of, they weave and ebb and flow, and I'm like, just go straight, like the target is over there. But you see those cows just meandering, but they always take the well-worn path. Well, that's the way that our brains are wired, that our thoughts, that things are firing in our brain and taking consistent patterns. Over time, we train our brains to think in a certain kind of way, and we might become a bit rigid in our patterns of thinking and our patterns of feeling. Now, you might be asking me, this is fun science lesson, but why are you telling me this? I'm so glad that you asked that question. It's because I want you to grasp the fact that your mind is made up of various parts of the brain. These parts of the brain were designed by who? God, to give you a range of the human experience, to understand God and the world and others and ultimately, yourself. And I want you to know that you need to understand that there's more to you in renewing your mind than just how you think. And I want to invite you to look beyond the surface of what's here and just your, how you think. If you truly want your mind to be renewed, there's more to you that, than that, and you can't ignore other parts of you. Let me give you an example. Years ago, when I was living in Texas, Texas is like one, the, the last train stop prior to the face of the sun. It's really hot in the summer. It's crazy town bananas. So one time, my wife and I started noticing in the garage the smell of death. You know that smell of death? You ever driven by a dead animal on the side of the road or something, a dead mouse, whatever? It's a terrible smell. I mean, it's gag-worthy. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to keep going because some people's gag reflex is so light. But you know that smell. So just picture the smell. 
So we start tearing our garage apart. We are looking everywhere. Where is this stink coming from? It's awful. We've got to get this out of our house. And it was a relatively new house, so we were really confused by this. Looking all through the garage, could not find the source of the stink. And so I finally resolved myself to think that some animal has climbed into the walls of the home. We don't know which one. And it died, so we're just going to have to live with it until it fully rots and all the stench goes away. Fast forward a few weeks, unbearable smell, nasty. My wife, Annette, she calls me and she says, um, you might want to sit down for this. I've, I've discovered the source of the smell. I said, okay. She said, there's a, a dead chicken in the garage. I thought, I mean, surely I would have seen this thing. But maybe somehow I missed it. Uh, maybe it's a baby chicken. I, I, I don't know how I missed it. She said, there's one more thing. There's a dead cow in the garage too. I thought, okay, I could see somehow missing the chicken. And unless it's that funny little YouTube video of that little miniature cow that's like this tall, I don't know if you know this, but cows are huge. They are ginormous. And when they move, you see them. I'm not going to miss seeing a cow. Well, then she tells me, there's one place we forgot to check. And it was our deep freeze. It was loaded with chicken breasts and chicken legs and steaks and roasts and all this sort of stuff. And the GFFI plug in there had gotten tripped somehow. And so the breaker was off and everything in that deep freeze rotted. So I being a dude who's an idiot, walk up, and of course I go to investigate for myself, and I open the lid, and I take a look, and all of a sudden, and I think my, my, I have trauma in my nose hair still <laughs> to this day from this thing, right? Here's the thing, if we try to ignore some of the parts of how God has wired us, if we don't get to the deeper level beyond just thinking, if we, if we simply take in information and we think about it, we'll never be formed into the image and likeness of Christ because there may be parts of us and our emotions and our feelings and how that whole structure works together that stinks and we can't figure out where it's coming from. And men, look at me. For whatever reason in our culture, there's this difficulty often for men to be in tune with their emotions. In case you missed what she said, she said, mm, just saying. <laughs> and females would love nothing more than for you to be in tune with your emotions. <laughs> She's still just saying. <laughs> what if you come from a stoic home and you're taught not to show your emotions? You gonna cry, boy? I'm gonna give you something to cry for. Why are you crying? Are you weak? Are you a wimp? Are you a big baby? See, some of us, those words cut really deep because we heard those words. And we were taught that we put on this strong exterior shell. But listen, when we do that, when we adopt that way of thinking and we start shutting down our emotional selves, neural pathways form that cause us to be stuck and not in tune with this vibrant, vital part of who God created us to be. And if we truly want to experience transformation, if we want the gospel to change us from the inside out, we have to partner fully with how God's wired us and pursue wholeness in every area. 
So we talked about that the scriptures call us to transformation and that we should be transformed from fractured, uh, broken human beings into the wholeness of Christ, into whole human beings. And we talked about how we're transformed so we can know and partner with the will of God for the renewal of all things. And we, we talked about the mind as the, the thoughts and feelings, it's our heart. And we talked about how the renewing of the mind is the key to transforming every area in our lives. And so what I want to do is I want to shift gears a little bit now and talk about how the mind actually plays a role in transformation, how we move from information to transformation. And the first part of this, uh, and I encourage you to take pictures of this and to chew on this and to write it down. I apologize for not having notes with a ton of blanks, but there's so many, you'd be like seven pages in, okay? So take pictures, write it down. The first part is inputs. We all have inputs. Those are things like things we see on TV. That's information that come in because of TV, or I'm reading a book, or I'm reading this or that, or um, uh, other people talk to me, or music that I listen to, or an email that I get, or maybe even inputs from our family of origin, like don't feel this, don't think that, think this, don't do this, vote this way, whatever. All those things are inputs, and those are normal parts of our existence, aren't they? And we live in a world that is very has tons and tons of inputs. I remember back in 2007 or so when the iPhone first came out and I saw it and I went, oh, this is the key to my productivity. Once I get the iPhone, I'll be so much more productive. And now, 12 years later, I'm like, what am I supposed to be doing? What is, what's happening? Oh, Facebook. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm very distracted. We all have inputs. The second part is processing. And this is what we do with those inputs. And this is the whole reason I'm getting into this. This is such an important part of our journey. This is what we do with what we've heard from the way that we think about it, the way that it goes with our emotions, the way that we check it against our beliefs. Our thinking and our emotions are inseparably linked. We cannot split those out. So we have inputs. We process those inputs. And then we have beliefs. And I once heard someone recently say, beliefs were simply ideas that we decided were true. It's a set of assumptions that really are thoughts that solidified in our brain as right or true. And so beliefs work in two ways. They're like a database to reference during processing. So as I'm thinking and I'm feeling, I'm comparing against my beliefs. Is this right or wrong? If it, wherever I judge that, am I open to changing this? Should I internalize this? Should I do something with this? So, it, so it's a database, but also the underlying driver of behavior. So your beliefs, out of your beliefs, is what you do. And then the next part of this is behavior. This is how we naturally act due to what we think, to what we feel, to, uh, due to how we believe things. And those things are subconscious and they're also intentional. They're both, and I'm gonna unpack that. But this is a cycle. And if you think about it, you're constantly getting inputs and you're constantly processing them and you're checking them against your beliefs and sometimes you're shifting those beliefs. And then you're out of those beliefs, you're doing behavior and sometimes you consciously choose to behave in a certain way. And so I'm not judging this as negative or positive. Actually, this is the mechanism of how transformation can happen. But a negative example, if your mother says you're lazy, well, that's an input. And it comes into your mind and you start to process that through your thoughts. Huh, she says I'm lazy. Well, what is laziness? I've made a calculation. I know what that is. How do I feel about that? Well, I don't know if I'm lazy, but then it moves to our beliefs. Well, mom, I should trust mom because she said I'm lazy, right? So there's, I believe that this must be true because I love mom. And so out of that, what kind of behavior do I exhibit? Lazy behavior. Now when I do that, other people see that behavior and they observe lazy behavior and then they become an input and they say something like, why are you being so lazy? Well, now it goes on and on and on like a vicious cycle. Does that make sense? 
Now, the inverse is true, something positive. If I really believe that I'm loved by God, if I read the scriptures, uh, go ahead and put that back up. If I, if I believe an input comes in that I believe the scriptures say I'm loved by God, and I process that in, and, and then all of a sudden my belief is I believe this is true, then I start acting like someone who's loved by God. Makes sense? So that's how things come into our eyes and ears and our thoughts and are engaged by the mind to create a transformation. We're being transformed from one thing to the next. Now we have a choice in what exactly it is that we become transformed. Now it's not always healthy. You can see how negative inputs and negative or unhealthy processing or untrue beliefs can lead to transformation that does not line up with God's truth. And I just want to poke a little bit at ourselves. Christianity has a tendency to to focus on a carefully constructed system. And go ahead and go to the the next slide that that often bypasses processing. uh, And I want to talk about this, where we focus so much on guarding our inputs. Don't listen to secular music. You don't want to do that. Don't watch secular TV. Be militant about what you let in. Uh, Rink the heart. It's just flesh. It's trash. Don't Don't smoke. Don't drink. Don't dance. Don't chew. And don't hang out with those who do. Christianity, often we train people like, oh, you got to really, it's got to be Fort Knox around the inputs that are coming in. Or adopting beliefs, like I'm told to believe a certain thing. So we like skip processing and say, don't do all these things, but do believe all these things. And then we emulate behavior, do these exact things. But let me tell you what happens when we exclusively focus on those things. When we make that sort of our mission is we get caught up in legalism. We get enslaved, we get conformed, but not transformed. We're focusing on things that all have the potential to be powerful, good things, but they're not always the right things. And sometimes they put us in bondage for years and years and years. And so we we read the Bible like crazy and we say we believe all these things and we act just like Jesus, but nothing has changed inside. We're very good at compartmentalizing. So we have to look at the whole picture. And so what I want to do is just unpack in the few minutes we have together how we do healthy transformation how we can actually look at this cycle and make it whole, complete, and transform us from one state to another. And the first part of this, just going back, is to manage our inputs. You know, we have a lot of control over what we allow into our mind, don't we? It's kind of like the choice we have around eating. This is very similar to getting physically healthy. We have a choice around what we eat. We can choose to avoid unhealthy things, can't we? We can choose to avoid certain kinds of things that, should, that shouldn't be coming in. And, and really, we should think about what we're putting in front of our eyes and our ears that could make our mind and our hearts sick. I love that uh, in Job chapter 31, it says Job made a covenant with his eyes. He was intentional about what he's putting in front of his eyes and what he allowed to do with what came in front of his eyes. Proverbs 4 tells us to watch out for things that can hurt us. Above all else, watch over your what? Heart diligently guard it because from a sincere and pure heart come the good and noble things of life. If you put healthy, positive things in and you process them in a healthy way and they go deep into your heart and become beliefs, out of that, that's the behavior for a good and healthy life. So we might need to limit some things from our inputs and and that might be different. Um, You gotta be careful not to be the Holy Spirit police and go to someone else and say, uh, you should not ever watch anything beyond a rated G movie. I can't speak that for you. You have the Holy Spirit within you. Did you know that? Not your heads and act spiritual. Okay, so listen for the spirit to guide you. We can also make sure that we're putting plenty of healthy things 
into our mind as well. So we avoid unhealthy things. We can also put in healthy things. Philippians 4 is a great example of what we should be putting in. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, you might do an inventory and ask yourself, self, what am I putting in my brain to think about? What kind of diet am I putting my brain on? And if you're honest, you might have to shift from focusing on some things that aren't healthy for you to increasing your diet to more things from God's truth. Does that make sense? Now, before we move on, I want to make sure we don't get trapped in the false dichotomy of only allowing sacred things versus secular things into our inputs and our processing. You know, we can work so hard to keep secular stuff out that we miss an opportunity to think in the way that Jesus would have us to think. Here's an example. Years ago, uh, we were doing a series, I can't remember what series it was, and we showed this clip during the talk, uh, a 30-second clip from Lord of the Rings. Who's seen Lord of the Rings or read the books? Powerful, lots of great spiritual truth in there. And afterward, this man sent an email to our staff, and he was very, very angry. He said, I've worked all these years to shelter my kids from any kind of secular influence, and in 30 seconds, you destroyed years of work. Now, I'm not knocking his desire to raise his kids in a godly way, and I'm not saying that you should just be able to do whatever you want with no consequences either. But what I am saying is that spending so much energy trying to keep every influence that isn't labeled Christian away from us can rob us of learning how to think well and grow in the world around us. I mean, imagine if Jesus did that, avoided all the kinds of things that were messy. Well, then we wouldn't see stories of him spending time with people uh, others think are shady, like prostitutes and fishermen and tax collectors and us. I love James Montgomery Boyce. He says, to think Christianity itself is not a matter of thinking about Christian subjects as opposed to thinking about secular subjects, as we suppose, but rather to think in a Christian way about everything. It means to have a Christian mind. If we can internalize this, think of the implications to our formation, friends. See, the goal isn't to avoid everything that isn't labeled Christian. It's to learn to think Christianly about everything. Does that make sense? That means, listen, you can get a chicken sandwich somewhere other than Chick-fil-A and you won't burn in hell for all of eternity. Just saying. So managing our inputs means to avoid unhealthy things, put in healthy things, and to think Christianly about things. And that moves us right on to this idea of processing well. So those are our inputs. Our brain is a very powerful thing. And our thinking and our emotions are powerful parts of us that, that are designed to work together well. And you might think you lean one way or the other. Maybe you're more cerebral in tune with your thoughts than your emotions, or maybe it's the other way around. But the patterns in our brains of how we think and feel, those patterns have been forming for a long time. And you might not process in the healthiest of ways. Have you ever thought about that fact? That you think very, in a, in a way that you've been programmed, you've taught yourself to think. But just because it's how you think, just because it's how you feel, doesn't mean it's true. It doesn't mean that it's right. And so one way to process things in a healthy way is to follow the command of the scripture to take every thought captive. We have the remarkable ability to watch our thoughts as they come in. And 2 Corinthians 10.5 tells us that we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to 
Christ. If we seriously want to follow Jesus, if you seriously mean you want him to be Lord of your life, you should take everything and make it obedient to him and ask yourself, is this pleasing? Is this the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus? Is this thing that's coming in, should I internalize this as God's truth or not? You need to make it obedient to who Jesus is and what Jesus says. Now, this is one, people, one reason why people meditate on Scripture. They meditate to learn to slow down and focus their thoughts and observe them as they come. And asking yourself, is this pleasing to Jesus? Does it line up with who he is? Does it line up with his nature? And we think Christianly by taking our thoughts captive and, and not letting them own us, by not dwelling on things that aren't healthy for us to dwell on and making them obedient to Christ. Another thing we might do to process well is to pursue emotional health. And this might be hard for some of us, especially if we haven't seen it modeled well for us. Our emotions are very complex. You know, one model of emotion says that there are eight core emotions, fear and anger and disgust and shame and sadness and surprise and joy or excitement and love or trust. And some of those emotions come from their survival-oriented emotions. And you can see that fear and anger and disgust and shame uh, and sadness and some of surprise are survival-oriented emotions. And some of them are attachment-oriented emotions, like joy and love. And then, and then surprise can be either, either one, depending on what it is. Surprise, here's a new car. That feels good. Surprise, the basement is flooded and a bunch of stuff is ruined, does not feel so good. The thing is, the survival emotions trigger an onslaught of a chemical hormone in our body called cortisol. You've probably heard of that. It's a stress hormones, and that triggers that fight, flight, freeze, or appease response in us. And it's a powerful hormone. It has an 18-hour half-life, which basically means if you get triggered, hormones are pumping into your system, and they're there for a long, long time. But the attachment emotions. They release oxytocin and dopamine, and they make us feel really, really good. Here's the thing. I spent the first 30 years or so of my life not really being aware of exactly what my emotions were. I would just say, well, I'm mad or I'm happy. But, but they're, they, I didn't even think about that they might be influencing my thinking. They're just my feeler self over here. Maybe you can relate. But that sabotaged my ability to move toward wholeness. If we want to learn to be healthy, if we want to renew our mind, we have to learn the language of our emotions. And we have to understand that each of those eight primary emotions, um, they're very complex. There's varying degrees within those. There's not just fear. There's various shades of fear. And then the one-two punch, some of those emotions happen at the same time and create much deeper, powerful emotions. See, I told you we were complex, didn't I? So many of us have emotional baggage in our lives, and, and we either don't recognize it at all or we choose to stuff it down and suppress it. But not learning how health, healthy or unhealthy emotions interact our thinking will impact how we process things. And it, we're in danger of it hijacking our ability to think well. So let's go back to the hand model. Put your thumb in. That's the amygdala. Hello, amygdala. Prefrontal cortex over on the top. When people say, I flip my lid, do that with me. You ever said that before? If you have kids, you definitely have, okay? They were triggered by something. Something hit their deep emotion of fear, anger, one of those things, um, and they, they began to be led by the amygdala. Now, it's a little bit faster than the prefrontal cortex, but it's also kind of dumb. If you just are led by the amygdala, you could turn to run from a, you know, uh, someone who's on the sidewalk who's chasing you and run right into a bus. 
think, how do we have the prefrontal cortex? Now, Pete Scazzaro wrote a really great book. I highly recommend it. It's called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And he said, it's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. It's impossible. And I think that's true. It's so important to learn an emotional death, depth and to, to learn which kinds of things trigger an imbalanced emotional response that hijacks our ability to think well. We've got to allow those two parts of our brain to work well together. And so we take our thoughts captive and we learn about how we're wired emotionally, good and bad, and what might disrupt our thinking and feeling. All those things are a critical part of, of processing well. And the last part of processing well is to change your thinking. I was talking to someone recently, and they said, well, it's not possible to change how I think. That's just how I am. Have you heard that before? Maybe you've said that before. That's just not scientifically correct. I mentioned that we form these neural pathways, the way that our brain talks to one another. As we think, it begins to create these little channels, well-worn paths. And when you say, well, that's just how I think, that actually, that's 100% true. It is just how you think. Somewhere along the way, you adopted a mental model. This is how I should think. This is how I choose to think. And it's incredibly hard to change the way you think about something. But is it impossible? No, not at all. There's something called neuroplasticity, which is a huge uh, discussion right now. But it basically means that we can change our patterns of thinking. And I think Jesus and the authors of the scripture were onto this way before this, that we can meditate on our scripture over time. And it begins to rewire how we think about something. And some studies show that we can rewire parts of our brain in as little as seven days. Interesting. That's why we do practices. That's why we do habits. To let the gospel transform all of us, we have to learn to process in a healthy way, to think in a healthy way, to grow in our emotional intelligence, and to change our thinking as Jesus leads. And so we manage our inputs and we process well. And just two quick other things. Uh, We have to constantly evaluate our beliefs. As I said earlier, beliefs are thoughts that we decided were true. And, and when you're processing through the filter of our thoughts and emotions, we check against our beliefs. We go there to see, is this is what I'm thinking and feeling buried deeper as a belief? And there are good beliefs, and there are unhealthy beliefs, right? The challenge is, if we have unhealthy beliefs, like, well, I'm just not good enough, I don't deserve X, Y, Z, whatever it might be, we'll behave out of those beliefs. Or we won't allow ourselves to think differently. We'll check it against our belief and go, no, I believe this, and so I'm not even going to entertain this thing. Don't be afraid to evaluate your beliefs. So many Christians are afraid to look at the scriptures with fresh eyes, to ask the Lord to show them who they are, what, what truths in there that don't align with God's truth. And if you hold too firmly to some beliefs that aren't God's truth, they'll greatly impact your ability to grow and become who Jesus caused you to be. It's natural when we hear information that contradicts one of our beliefs that, um, to feel defensive, uh, to feel stressed. It's actually a survival mechanism. But it's so important that we evaluate our beliefs against the, the truth of God to make sure there aren't beliefs that we're operating out of that don't align with God's truth and take root in there and keep us from being healthy. And so for most of us, there are beliefs that we might even have about God that maybe served us for a time, but they don't really reflect who God really is. And so we manage our inputs. We learn a process in a healthy way. And we evaluate our beliefs and allow Jesus to speak into them. And then finally, take control of your behavior. 
I think our behavior has two parts to it. One is involuntary, the other is voluntary. Involuntary behavior is driven by our beliefs. They're things we just do naturally because we believe something to be true or we hold a deeply held value that we've internalized over time. If we believe we're lazy because we we were told told we were, we're going to act in a lazy way. If we believe that God loves us unconditionally, we're going to act as someone who is loved. This is why psychologists and counselors, they don't just say, well, I'm going to give you seven things to do to look different. They also have to look at your beliefs and the pattern of thinking that drives that behavior. Does that make sense? That's our behavior coming out of our beliefs. That's involuntary. It's just coming out of the natural person who we are. If you don't like your behavior, you should go back to your beliefs and to your thinking to see what you believe to be true and how that influences what you do. Voluntary behavior is kind of behavior that you choose to do consciously. And that's why we talk so much at South about practices. See, practices are behavior that we choose to do in order to shape our lives and our thinking. For example, you you might have a really hurried life and are always in a rush or be a little bit ADD like me, uh, but practicing solitude, forcing yourself to slow down and be alone with God, that's, that's hard for some of us who are just people that like to move and think and shake and all this sort of stuff. It might feel so strange at first. Well, there's a physiological reason for that. Our brains aren't wired for that. It goes against that well-worn path. But over time, when you practice solitude, I'm getting quiet. I'm just going before the Lord. I'm just listening. It begins to rewire your brain, and it becomes a part of who you are. See, you can teach an old dog new tricks. So friends, don't be afraid to evaluate your behavior and to put practices and ways of behaving in place to form you and to shape you into the image of the whole human being that Jesus created you to be. I want to put that cycle I talked about up one more time. You do have the power to control what comes into your mind and heart. You do have the power to make sure you process that you think and that you feel in healthy, God-honoring ways. You do have the power to evaluate your beliefs. And and some people are afraid to look at those because they're afraid, well, if I just pull that thread a little bit, what if it all unravels and I don't believe in anything anymore? That's just not reality. You have the power to make sure your beliefs are healthy and line up with God's truth. And, And you do have the power to take control of your behavior. And if you do those things, led and fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm just convinced that you'll be on your way to allowing your mind to be renewed to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And if you will do this, then all of those other areas of your life, the Spirit can come in and start shaping from the inside out. So I'm going to end with a practice and a prayer. And I'm going to ask you to think about this. What's one practice you could put in place this week to take a step toward renewing your mind? And I'm going to give you three M's to make it easy. The first one might be meditate. Maybe choosing one of God's truths to meditate on over and over again this week. Philippians 4.8 is a great passage. Just a train in your brain. This is what I should be thinking about. How about the second M would be memorize. Maybe you could memorize 2 Corinthians 10.5 that you take every thought captive. Memorize that scripture and work out of that. And as, as things come in, memorize that scripture. The third M, mentor. Maybe you need to pursue a mentor. Someone who's a few steps ahead of you to process with. Or maybe you need to find a counselor or a therapist to do some work so that those things that have been there a long time that are hijacking your formation, you can actually work through those things and learn to think and feel 
in a healthy way, as you manage those inputs, as you process well, as you maintain healthy God-honoring beliefs, and as you behave in a way that looks more and more like Jesus. We're going to close with a a prayer, and I'm going to ask you just to stand. And we're going to pray this prayer together. So I gave you some practices. I gave you some prayer. I gave you some, I'm going to give you a prayer. Take a picture of that. Chew on it this week. Let's read this prayer together from our hearts to the Lord. Here we go. Gracious and loving God, you know the deep inner patterns of my life that keep me from being totally yours. You know the misformed structures of my being that hold me in bondage to something less than your high purpose for my life. You also know my reluctance to let you have your way with me in these areas. Hear the deeper cry of my heart for wholeness, and by your grace, enable me to be open to your transforming presence in this reading. Lord, have mercy. And that is our prayer this week. South Fellowship, I'm so excited about what God wants to do in us, in our hearts. My prayer for you this week is that God would help you to understand what renewing your mind looks like, that your relationship with Jesus would, would grow in such a way that it freaks you out. Because it's so intimate, it's so palpable, it's so real, it's so good, and that God would transform us from the inside out. So, if you're new or newish, hang out, go down and get some coffee, we want to see you afterwards. And I just want to invite you to invite your friends 